Welcome to Granite State Matters, the busy person's way to catch up with what's happening in Concord. Because the extremists are taking over the state house, And what you don't know can hurt you. I'm Steve Marchand. And I'm Terry Harkins. Today's podcast looks at the once-in-a-decade slicing of New Hampshire into voting districts. Districts that should be representative of voters' interests. But instead, they're often gerrymandered. That's moving the goalposts to make winning easier for one team. So today, we'll be speaking with Olivia Zink of Open Democracy about their project to create fair district maps. But wait, Steve. Didn't the legislature pass a bill in 2020 that established a bipartisan independent redistricting committee? Uh, They did. But Governor Sununu vetoed the bill, even though the public, a number of Republicans, and all Democrats in the legislature wanted independent redistricting. Oh, yes. I remember my traditionally very conservative town passed an article just this June asking our reps for fair redistricting. Like many other towns across the state. So... So later in the program, we'll also be talking with Louise Spencer, who has sued the state over the governor's veto of that bill. But first, let's walk through the redistricting process. It starts with the census. Now, that started uh, during 2020, but the Trump administration did its best to ensure immigrants, uh, people of color, and other traditionally Democratic communities were undercounted. They cut the census budget Uh, hired one-third as many enumerators who physically visit the homes as they did in 2010. They have the census field offices and reduced community outreach, all resources typically used to count blacks, Hispanics, immigrants, the homeless, and other members of hard-to-count communities. Still, state officials did receive the census data for New Hampshire in August. This data, however flawed, determines how many legislators towns qualify for when the new district map is drawn. But since the old gerrymandered map let Republicans win the most seats in the legislature in 2020, they control the redistricting committee that draws up the new districts. That's two congressional, five executive council, 24 Senate, and 400 House member districts. All of them. But what most people don't realize, Terry, is that gerrymandering those districts ends up hurting both parties. Uh, For example, in 2020, the skewed districts let Republicans win 14 of the state's 24 Senate seats with only 50 percent of the vote. Uh, This meant that they could pass bills without any Democratic support even though half of voters voted Democratic. Under fair redistricting, 50% of the votes for state Senate would have given each party 12 seats. The Senate would have had to discuss and compromise on mainstream solutions. Extreme measures on both sides would have been sidelined. By empowering their extremist minority, Republicans have split their own party. Uh, For example, the recent budget that passed uh, had extreme measures that weren't even directly related To budgetary matters, there have been physical threats, literal threats against the governor, who recall, remember, he is of the same party as these extremist Republicans. They have threatened him. They have threatened his staff. And then the more recent executive council interference. They actually, through their demonstration and interruption, postponed a regular executive council meeting. And then a few weeks later, when they gathered that meeting back again, they ended up having several people that were arrested because of the disruption that they caused. Uh, These are just a few examples. And remember, they're doing it as much to their own party 
and their leaders as they are to the Democratic Party and their leaders. Uh, Our next episode is going to focus a lot on this and on these extremists who Republicans have empowered through their own gerrymandering. So it's not just parties that lose from gerrymandering, it's us, the general public. And so here we are, uh, again, ready to draw up these maps. So tell us how that's happening, Terry. The committee is taking input at public meetings in each county before they reveal their new maps. And at these meetings, many attendees are asking to have an opportunity to critique maps after the committee draws them up. Committee leaders refused for weeks, but after much public pressure, they did the right thing. Committee maps were open to the public for review. The final districts are due to be announced in January, and guess what? The same party is in control as last time. So the upshot is, unless mainstream Republicans wake up to the fact that gerrymandering is hurting them too, the districts will be more gerrymandered than ever, making it even less likely that the legislature will reflect the will of the voters. Today, we have with us Olivia Zink, the director of Open Democracy. Welcome, Olivia. Thanks for having me. I participated in your map building project. It's been a great community event. We've had over 300 people who have participated in community mapping in our project we call Mapathon. I found it really eye-opening. Can you tell us a little bit about Open Democracy, Olivia? So Open Democracy is founded by Granny D, Doris Haddock, who um, is a New Hampshire native who at age 90 walked from California to Washington, D.C. Um, for campaign finance reform. And Doris Granny D stood for really three core p- principles, um, making sure that everyone had the freedom to vote and making sure that we had fairness in our democracy. And so today we'll talk about the fair map project of open democracy um, and fair redistricting, but we also... Our mission is to support really a, an open democracy. Yeah, Olivia, what is the Mapathon in Project and uh, why is Open Democracy sponsoring it? Um, so we worked with the Kent Street Coalition, Granite State Progress, and the League of Women Voters New Hampshire earlier this year for a citizen map conference. And for, and through our citizen mapping conference, we created this Mapathon project, which is really something that has created a life of its own, where we have a tech team who's drawing maps. But we've now had five or six Mapathon meetings. Um, over 300 individuals have participated in some way. And this is really after the state house after we advocated for an independent redistricting commission so that citizens can have a voice in the redistricting process, we said, we're going to take it upon us as Granite Staters so that we can have fair redistricting lines. And so we really worked, um, you know, making a transparent process, including how do we pick the software we want to use, the software platforms? What criteria do we want to use to draw these lines? And um, it's very interesting because school districts was the number one criteria or community of interest that people said, let's keep districts that are in the same school district. And we also did a lot of work um, to collect data. We really wanted to take a deep dive and really learn about our communities what makes our communities unique and what makes our communities something that's connected to another town. So do we share a police or ambulance service? Um, Do we have any other municipal services that are shared, such as a a dump or a transfer station? And and how do we connect and build representation that really truly represents the voters in that district? 
Uh, Olivia, great to see you and your expertise on this. You know, we talked a lot about New Hampshire so far, but let's pull it out for a second. When you compare the two major parties and the way that they treat the redistricting process uh, around the country in various states, uh, do uh, does one party use independent redistricting or do they look at the process of redistricting in a fundamentally different way from the other party? How would you compare the two in that regard? I think both parties have used redistricting as a tool for power throughout the country. In New Hampshire, every 10 years that we've redrawn the maps, it always has been the Republicans that have been in charge here in our state. But I think when you look at other states, Maryland, for example, is in a district where the Democrats have used um, redistricting to district um, for more Democratic gain. Um, and I think if, if you look at the states that have independent um, commissions that are drawing the lines, such as California or Iowa or Michigan, or um, those have been all initiated by citizens. Citizens that say it, it shouldn't be about one party or another. It should be about how the maps represent our communities. And most of the independent commissions have have sort of sprung out of campaigns in Michigan. They collected millions of signatures um, to get something on the ballot in Michigan to create an independent redistricting commission there. So Olivia, I guess that leads to the next question. What is the difference between creating a fair map and the districts drawn up by the Republican leadership in 2010? The voters should be picking our politicians and the politicians should not be picking the, the voters. And if you look at the executive council maps in New Hampshire, especially executive council two, where all the Democrats are packed into that executive council district, a Republican in executive council district two doesn't really have a voice in the process or uh, executive council district where all the Republicans are packed into a district um, for partisan gain really make sure a, a Democratic voter doesn't have a voice. And I think especially the executive council districts, but some of the state Senate districts that were drawn 10 years ago um, were definitely gerrymandered in a way for partisan gain. And I think when we look at fair maps and how we approach fair maps is that we're going to follow all of the criteria, the constitutional criteria. Um, New Hampshire voters voted that if a town is large enough to have their own state rep, they should have their own state rep. But 10 years ago, 62 towns did not get their own state rep district. So when we are looking at fair districting, we're saying which communities are large enough to get their own state reps and how do we best um, create a map that, that gives that communities. But then also, how do we look at school districts and how do we draw state senate districts that include towns that all ha are in the same school district instead of dividing school districts. We know people are connected with other individuals based on where their kids go to school. We also know decisions are made about education funding based on that as well. So it's really important that you look at those criterias. The end goal um, is to make sure voters feel like they're represented in the process and not that, oh, I don't, my vote doesn't matter because they've, they've already gerrymandered the district. So uh, it sounds like you definitely have some of the ideals that should come out of this mapathon process uh, well underway and pretty well defined. Uh, tactically, where does the mapathon report go, uh, and uh, what's the timing relative to when the state has to make decisions about what these new districts will look like? Well, I just drove from the state senate um, committee on redistricting in Concord, which is where I was. The Mapathon project have submitted their congressional maps. 
the executive council maps and state senate maps to the House Committee on Redistricting. Um, we also have it posted online. So if you go to opendemocracynh.org backslash redistricting backslash mapathon report one dot PDF um, and um, people can download you can see the team of citizen experts that really made this possible. And we had researchers, um, engineers, people who have done systems data really help us drive this Mapathon project because it really does take a democracy nerd um, to dig into the numbers. Well, and we're glad that we have you as the democracy nerd to do just that. Uh, Olivia Zink, Director of Open Democracy, helping uh, lead the Mapathon project at a really critical time uh, for the next 10 years of New Hampshire. Thanks very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. And after a quick break, we will have Louise Spencer. She's the co-director of the Kent Street Coalition, and she is suing uh, the governor's office uh, to... Uh, to do something about the veto of the redistricting bill. Uh, we'll have Louise on after this. And we're back uh, with Louise Spencer, the co-director of the Kent Street Coalition, but wearing a different hat today. Uh, and we're going to talk about that for the next several minutes in our general conversation about redistricting, what it is, what it's not. Louise, thanks for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Steve and Terry. It's really great to be here. So in the veto message of a bipartisan redistricting bill, uh, Governor Sununu called gerrymandering rare. He said it was rare in New Hampshire. Uh, he also cited a need for caution before making what he termed, quote, wholesale changes to systems that have proven themselves to work in New Hampshire. Yeah, I guess the governor didn't think about that before he signed that school voucher bill that made wholesale changes to our highly ranked and proven public school system. Cherry-picked outrage. Uh, Terry's referring to our last episode about school vouchers, uh, which you can listen to by following the Granite State Matters podcast. But I digress. Louise, could you start today by explaining what the independent redistricting bill would have done if Governor Sununu had signed it into law. Sure. The bill was HB 706, and the prime sponsor was Marjorie Smith from Durham, but it enjoyed broad bipartisan support both in the House and the Senate. And essentially, it would have created an independent commission that would have prohibited mapping or redistricting along partisan lines and would have required a number of more neutral factors to be considered, like communities of interest and those required by the Voting Rights Act. So it allowed for this commission to suggest maps to the legislature, but ultimately the legislature would have needed to vote on the maps and approve the maps. So it was some of the preparation work to try to make sure that all the various considerations were being taken into account. Okay, Louise, so why did you decide to bring a lawsuit against the state over the governor's veto of that 2020 bill that established an independent bipartisan redistricting committee? Well, as I mentioned, uh, HB 706 enjoyed broad bipartisan support, and uh, even the governor had said, indicated that he supported the concept. Uh, in fact, 
as it moved its way through the legislature and then passed both houses and was going toward the governor's desk, our understanding is that the governor was planning for a signing ceremony, which is usually what happens when the governor is proud of a bill and wants to invite people in who helped create that bill and sign it in public. Um, So we were surprised when at the very last minute, instead of signing the bill, the governor vetoed the bill. And our surprise was further piqued when a few days later, former governor of Wisconsin, Scott Walker, published an op-ed piece in the Concord Monitor, basically congratulating the governor for vetoing the bill, claiming, as the governor did, that it was unconstitutional and that it was influenced by these nefarious out-of-state actors, which is interesting given that Scott Walker is an out-of-state actor. And he, at the time, was with the National Republican Trust on redistricting, working very hard to promote partisan Republican redistricting. Look, I know you, Louise, you're not a litigious person. Uh, Nobody has fun going through a lawsuit. So clearly, uh, this is not your first option. So tell us why the lawsuit avenue and what are you hoping to achieve through this process? Well, we really wanted to understand what happened, what went on. Um, And so under the New Hampshire Constitution and under 91A, the the Right to Know Act, uh, we have a right to file requests for documents from our elected officials. And so that was the first step we took, was to file a Right to Know request asking what conversations the governor had had with uh, Scott Walker, the Heritage Foundation, ALEC, other um, out-of-state groups that might have sought to influence him to veto this, this bill. So we filed that request, and they came back with uh, a statement that they had 11 emails, but they were withholding them, claiming that they were not government documents, and or that if they were, they were privileged and therefore not subject to disclosure. So then we went forward, we went to district court to appeal that decision, and now we lost at that level, but we've appealed to the New Hampshire Supreme Court. We just had oral arguments in September, and that's where the case stands right now, awaiting a decision from the New Hampshire Supreme Court. The original purpose of our lawsuit was to focus on the um, redistricting and what factors went into the governor's decision to veto the bill. But as we pursued the, the lawsuit, we realized that there were many other significant issues at hand that had to deal with the public's right to gain access to records, gain access to information, and to have transparency. So we have 91A, which is the statute that allows right to know, but also fairly uniquely to New Hampshire, we have Part 1, Article 8 of the New Hampshire Constitution, which specifically guarantees New Hampshire residents and Granite Staters the right to government documents and to participate in government meetings. What we found out as we went along the course of this lawsuit is that the governor 
claims that he is exempt from 91A, that he uh, will also claim uh, privileges that have to do with executive privilege and deliberative privileges, which would under his interpretation, exclude many, many records from public view. But more troubling, perhaps, than all of that is that instead of having a government retention policy, the government, the governor has a records destruction policy. In other words, his staff is instructed to keep emails for no more than 30 days. So that makes it extraordinarily difficult for citizens to try to get access to records when often they don't even know that there's an issue that they might want to learn more about until months or, or years have gone by. And so this has become one of the prime focuses of the lawsuit and a, a question of first impression for the state Supreme Court of what does a retention policy need to look like in order to satisfy the constitutional requirements of Part 1, Article 8. And the other essential questions that we're looking at is how far does the governor's claim to executive privilege and the deliberative process privilege go? So those are broader issues that the court seems very interested in addressing. Uh, we're not sure, you know, of course, we have no way of knowing how that will play out, but we're anxiously awaiting their decision. Um, it's really essential that we, you know, redistricting is, fair redistricting is the foundation of our democracy. It is what supports the concept of one person, one vote. And when that gets skewed by gerrymandering and partisan maps, it it tears at the fabric of our democracy. And so this seems like a essential issue and question. In fact, what we have right now is redistricting going forward without that independent commission um, and with less transparency and less engagement and less understanding for the public about what the process really will look like. Well, we were discussing earlier the fact that uh, gerrymandering is what is empowering the extremists in the Republican Party. And uh, do you think that is why some Republicans supported this bill? At least before the veto, some supported fair redistricting. I think at the time the bill first came up, it was very unclear what was going to happen in the 2020 elections. And we had a real moment, a real opportunity to come together and do something in a bipartisan way that would have furthered our democracy and made us stronger as a state and really carried that mantle of first in the nation. Unfortunately, that didn't happen and the bill was vetoed. In fact, a second bill the following session was also vetoed that would have done attempted to do virtually the same thing in terms of creating a, a independent nonpartisan commission. The problem with heavily gerrymandered districts is that often only one party or the other gets a say, and that say happens during the primary. And so politicians really play to the extremes of their, to their base. 
and they're not really trying to find that middle ground, that that compromise position that can bring everyone in their district together. We're seeing that, I believe, play out right now in that we have representatives from very conservative districts, and so their base is able to pull out of the strings and call out of the shots, and it's exacerbating the problem that we're having with right-wing extremism here in the state. That's not a bad segue in our remaining time to back up just a step. Kent Street Coalition, you've been involved forever. That's how we met originally. Yes. Um, This is just uh, one of many topics that you and a a rather large, effective uh, group of activists uh, think and spend time on. What are some of the priorities right now in this 2021 political landscape at the state national level? What are some of the things as a coalition you're thinking about these days? Well, I have to say that redistricting and voting rights are at the very top of the list because, again, we are an all-volunteer grassroots advocacy group. We formed in the wake of the 2016 elections, and we've been primarily focused on engaging with government, but particularly state government, and uh, using the power of the office of citizen to affect change and to make change. And... That all depends on having fair voting, where we can all go in, cast our votes at the ballot box, await the outcome, and then move forward. So right now, we haven't seen voting rights under attack uh, like this since since the 50s and, and before that. And... Uh, We have the opportunity on the national level to pass the Freedom to Vote Act, which is essential. And unfortunately, here in New Hampshire, a number of terrible bills have been introduced uh, that would limit voting rights. So we're we're focused on that. So you're busy. You're going to be busy for a long time. And uh, we're glad you are. Uh, Louis Spencer, thanks so much for coming in today. We appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. This has been Granite State Matters' discussion of how redistricting harms both parties. Our next episode will focus on extremists and how they're being empowered by government leaders as well as by gerrymandering. And you can follow our bi-weekly podcasts at your favorite podcast provider. Because the extremists are taking over the statehouse. And what you don't know can hurt you. 